Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today I'm going to share the uh, Near Death Experience or part of the Near Death Experience of Russell Ricks. This is from uh, Russell's book, Remember a Little Boy's Near Death Experience. And I will preface this by saying, from what I can tell, this is not a near death experience in terms of nearing death. But it matches the uh, description so well that I can't help think that this definitely was a mystical experience, uh, an experience of leaving the body and, and going to the spirit world and so forth. And so as, as I always say, take everything that you learn from these things with a grain of salt, but also try to learn from them and shelf them in a way that you can refer back to them uh, when you start finding other connections and other things that uh, seem to fit. And I will also preface by saying I have not read this full book. I have only read samples from this book, and uh, that is what I'm reading from uh, today. So if you want to get this book, it looks like it's available on Amazon and a number of other places, but it's, it's called Remember a Little Boy's Near-Death Experience. I didn't want to go back to such a miserable, scary experience. I believed that heaven was a place where I would find, or where I would feel safe and loved. Obviously, I'm going to pause for a minute. Obviously, this kid has been through some things previously, and I'm, I'm not going to read those. I think all of us can relate to horrible experiences or relate to those who have had horrible experiences in their life. And, and uh, he, this, this boy just feels like he didn't want to go back to that. Uh, in fact, I'm going to back up one sentence here. And he says, Life outside the protection of my home was so traumatic and threatening I didn't want to go back to such a miserable, scary experience. I believed heaven was a place where I would feel safe and loved. I so wanted to leave this existence and go back to home to heaven. With those thoughts in mind, I prayed earnestly with the Lord to take me home if it was his will. After my prayer, I climbed into the comfort of my bed and then tearfully drifted off to sleep feeling depressed, frightened, and unloved. As I began to fall, fall asleep, I felt the common sensation of the bed slowly spinning. As it spun, it seemed my body, or perhaps my spirit, I'm not sure which, rose up from my spinning bed and continued to ascend upward into the darkness of the night. After a time, I sensed a tiny beam of light in the distance above me. As I drew, drew closer to the light, it expanded and continued to increase in brightness until it filled the entirety of the space around me. Next, I found myself standing high on a mountainside in the midst of a small, inexpressible, beautiful garden grove. I was surrounded by what appeared to be aspen trees, a variety of flowers, and other pleasant forest plant life. Some of the flowers looked familiar, and some were of a variety— I had never seen before, with variations of colors I had never laid my eyes upon. Despite the unfamiliarity, I had a strong sensation of deja vu in this space. The trees and the plant life on the forest floor were similar to what we might find on earth, but were far more glorious and otherworldly. 
Though familiar in that sense, I quickly perceived that the place where I stood was not anywhere on earth. It was sacred, holy ground in some sort of spiritual realm. Along with that simple observation, everything seemed so incredibly real that when I started reaching, or when I started to research what had happened to me, I was unsure at first whether I was having an actual near-death experience or if I was having a dream, a vision, if you will. In fact, the whole experience seemed more vibrant and real than the reality we experience here on Earth. Later in my life, I discovered that experts call an N, uh, what experts call an NDE was remarkably parallel to my experience in terms of the classic similarities. Research say that if you have a near-death experience without actually experiencing clinical death, they say that you can have an NDE without actually experiencing clinical death. Experts sometimes refer to this as a near-death-like experience or a spiritually transformative experience. A full spectrum of colors in the garden grove, the flowers, and the surrounding atmosphere glistened with light and exceeded in beauty anything I had ever laid my eyes on before. It seemed as if I was witnessing colors I had never seen with my naked eyes. As a professional artist, my profession today and my aspiration back then, these celestial colors really intrigued me. If I could find a way to paint these colors, I would, but I'm afraid that it would be impossible. I know, because I have tried many times, yet failed to do so. All of the plant life and that glorious sunlit sky seem to radiate their own blue or their own light and pure intelligence. Everything had its own vibration, similar to music, that I could feel and comprehend throughout the experience. It was as if all creation was in the attitude of praising God without ceasing. I could hear continuous heavenly music including a choir singing praises to their creator, but I could not tell what direction it was coming from. I think the choral music was all around me, an overwhelming feeling of peace and joy beyond description seemed to emanate from this strangely familiar place. Everything I was witnessing was somehow connected. It was as if it was one, and I was part of that oneness. When I would focus on a particular object, such as a flower, I would comprehend and experience everything about it, from how it was created and by what power it was made to everything and everyone who had smelt, touched, or appreciated its beauty. I could feel the joy that the flower had in the measure of its creation when it pleased all those who appreciated its beauty. A small, organically straight, and well-worn, narrow footpath intersected the center of the grove and continued beyond and deeper into the forest. This tiny grove looked like a familiar and favored place for many to visit. I found myself leaning face first against a large stone, a large stone near the base of a few aspen trees that were on the edge of the grove and next to the footpath. Although I was eight years old when I had this experience, 
In the vision I was represented as a small and innocent child of three or four years old. I perceived this representation to symbolize the life I lived before being born into mortality. It was as if I went back into a time in pre-earth spiritual dimension. Perhaps I had once stood in that very spot in times past. Maybe it was a favorite place I frequented in my pre-mortal state and or to quietly meditate or prepare for my future mission on earth. While in this dimension, my own perception of things seemed heightened far beyond my eight-year-old understanding. It was as if pure intelligence continuously flowed into my mind, and I comprehended many things in an instant. Whatever I focused on, I could learn and experience everything about it. But once the vision closed and I awoke, I could no longer retain the specific knowledge I had gained. I could only remember having felt an incredible increase of knowledge. There is, however, one thing that has stayed with me all these years, an actual knowledge, and not just a belief, in the existence of God, the pre-mortal existence of man, and our continued existence after our mortal bodies die. Before I had this experience, my parents had taught me about God and my spiritual pre-mortal existence. I believed what they taught me, but after this experience, I knew, and I still know with absolute certainty, that it is true. Though I was in a place of pure joy and happiness, my face was buried in my hands. I was leaning against the stone in tears. I knew I must continue on the path beyond the grove, but for some reason I felt a great deal of anxiety, and I hesitated. I then perceived that the mortal world was just beyond the grove, and if I embarked on the path, I would go beyond the point of no return, and I would be born on earth. As I held back, I wasn't confident on how well I would do in mortality, and fear overtook me. Moments later, as I pressed as I lay pressed against the stone, I felt a gentle touch on my right shoulder, accompanied by a gentle voice and calming voice, a gentle and calming voice. Russell, the personage called me by my given name, why are you crying? I was taken by surprise, and I remember thinking, yet not fearing, who is this person who knows me by my name? Turning back, over my right shoulder, I saw a being in a long, white, flowing robe standing in the air a few inches off the ground. His hands were exposed a little above his wrists, and his robe's hem touched the tops of his feet. A glorious but non-binding white light, non-blinding, sorry, white light, brighter than the sun, radiated from his being and flooded the surrounding grove. His radiance was brightness, or brightest nearest his personage. His thick hair, white and shoulder length, was neatly groomed. He wore a full, white, neatly trimmed beard. His most striking and curious feature to me was his eyes, which seemed to appear as if they were on fire, and yet they were not. Remember, this is how I perceived his eyes as an eight-year-old 
Later, I will comment more on what I discovered regarding his this striking feature. I perceived clearly that this person was my Savior, Jesus Christ, as witnessed by his wounds, which pierced his hands, wrists, and feet. He looked into my eyes with great understanding, love, and compassion. He seemed to be able to look deep into my heart and soul. I felt no fear no fear when he pierced my soul, only pure love and perfect acceptance. His voice was gentle, yet like the rushing of mighty waters, and he and when he spoke, he communicated telepathically. I do not recall seeing his lips move as he spoke. Perfect love, pure and unconditional, emanated from his personage. I felt complete acceptance. The power of his love encompassed everything, filled my heart with indescribable peace and joy. His love felt similar to the witness of the Holy Spirit when it finds a place in your heart. Yet this feeling far exceeded the power of the Spirit in any instance that I have ever had in my lifetime. I'm going to skip down just a little bit. In his compassion, the Savior stooped down to lift me up and bring me to his bosom. As he did, his robe fell open a little, revealing what looked like a wound in his side. He then gently scooped me up into his arms, carrying me off to a beautiful, distant, and radiant city above the clouds. We traveled a great distance through a pillar of light in an instant to the city. Many of the buildings, the wall surroundings, the wall surrounding the city and the streets appeared to be constructed of the purest yellow gold. Gloriously indescribable prisms of light, again with numerous brilliant colors I had never seen before, emanated from the entire city. Even the heavenly light itself seemed to be alive and reflected, or reflecting the glory of God. While singing joyful praises to him, here the power and of the love of God penetrated everything and overwhelmed my soul with pure joy. I perceived this city to be near the throne of God. Perhaps it was a celestial kingdom. Of all the buildings in this vast celestial city, two, two of them caught my attention. One appeared to be similar to the design and architect, or architecture of the Salt Lake Temple. Another adjacent structure looked like the Salt Lake Tabernacle, except these both appeared to be constructed of pure gold material. The Savior brought me into the tabernacle. We went inside, discovered we were alone, and sat down on a pew near the front. Lovingly and with his arm cradled around me, the Lord again gazed deep into my soul, inviting me to express my fears. His presence was so loving and peaceful, I felt no fear of him. Having great anxiety, I expressed to him that although I understood the plan and the purpose for entering mortality, I wished I didn't have to leave. I felt that the place where I now resided was my real home and was where I truly belonged. I seemed to have had somewhat of an understanding of many of the future trials and tests I would have to endure. Perhaps the abuse I would face in the future throughout mortality was one of the reasons I hesitated and even feared entering the mortal sphere. 
Perhaps I was also aware of the two disabilities that I would have to learn to live with. In life, it is often very difficult to leave home for a great length of time, leaving behind loving associations with family, close friends, and the precious memories attached to those relationships. Leaving my heavenly home, my first home, was the same and more. I believe that if the veil were removed from us today, allowing us to clearly gaze into our pre-earth life, we would immediately comprehend that heaven is where we first come from and is the place where we truly belong. I believe we would have no desire to continue our mortal journey. Although I miss my spiritual home today, I know that mortality is a necessary part of progression in God's plan for us. So we must continue. If, after mortality, we are worthy to enter his kingdom, it will be a joyous reunion. The Savior wiped my eyes with the sleeve of his white robe. His nature is always assuring. He is loving and compassionate. He then ministered comfort to me in the form of blessings and a promise. In this experience, it was as if I was gazing beyond the veil into my past, re-experiencing an actual, personal, and precious moment with the Savior before I entered mortality. Now, Russell's experience continues on, but I'm going to go ahead and stop there uh, to, in order to encourage you to go and, and get the book, um, find the book, and uh, read it. Again, it's called Remember. A little boy's near-death experience. But this illustrates a point that, although was not new information for me, maybe something about near-death experiences that is new to a lot of people, and that is this idea of having a life before this mortal life. Uh, many um, people from many backgrounds, uh, be it religious or otherwise, including many Christian religions, probably most Christian religions, um, the belief is common that God created individuals at the time of their birth, and that that is the beginning of their existence. But one thing that seems to come up over and over in near-death experiences is that we lived before we came to this life. And many of these experiences hint that we lived infinitely before, that we've always existed, that we've always... Now, what that means exactly in terms of time, because remember, time doesn't seem to exist on the other side, so what does it mean for someone to have always existed without time being a thing? I'm not exactly sure how that works, because again, time is is a bit of a mystery. It's something that seems so clear and obvious to us here um, because it passes so consecutively, if you will. Um, so how the eternal nature of our souls works, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely clear on that. And the experiences that we, that we share or that we read and, and discover only hint that we have always existed, that we have looked forward to, or in this boy's example, in this guy's example, when he was a boy, um, he hesitated. He was kind of scared. And I can understand why. If you could see what was coming, 
in this life. I can see why somebody would fear that. But this idea of a life before this life, if that is new to you, that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to fully embrace it just because it's showing up, but you can also not fully reject it. Have a place for it on on your shelf and consider it and think about how that uh, works with with what you do understand. Because if there's one thing I'm finding from near-death experiences, it's that they add to the beliefs I already have. Mostly they expand upon them. There are things that I didn't necessarily believe before, but I didn't disbelieve either. For ex- I mean, for example, there being, um, you know, as spirits, we can see colors that we couldn't see before. I never had a disbelief in that. I never thought to myself, oh, you know, as spirits, we wouldn't be able to see other colors. We wouldn't be able to. There was no disbelief in that, but there was no context to recognize the possibility of a belief in that. It wasn't something that was even in the scope of, of, you know, it wasn't under my radar. And so when it comes up, I'm like, do I believe that? Well, I mean, it seems to come up over and over. So I think I do. I think I do believe that there are, uh, as spirits, we can see more colors than we can see as, as mortal beings. It, you know, it's it's one of those things that if your background and beliefs don't have a place for that, or they don't have a context for it, it's okay to believe something without having conviction of it. As you grow and expand in your knowledge of things, it's okay to accept things with a grain of salt, you know. I may hear or learn of other things that um, that tell me this. There, that there could be another way of looking at this. Okay, so it's okay that you, if you don't fully believe these things and yet have a place on a shelf to be able to consider it. And if you do believe it, then um, let that inform the rest of your beliefs. If it really resonates with you, and I've learned to use that word in, uh, in studying near-death experiences because they talk about resonance, they talk about vibration, and they talk about the, uh, how everything has a frequency. And clearly this is some kind of analogy, using the word frequency, but what kind of analogy? What are we really talking about? I don't know. I don't know, but it seems to fit. And there are things that I hear that just something in me says, yes, that feels right. And I would call that resonating with me. There's something in me that vibrates at a similar frequency. I, I, I also like that analogy because I'm a musician and I'm one who, if I'm whistling as I walk down a hallway and there's a certain, you know, maybe I'm turning a corner and all of a sudden one of the notes just, wah, it just comes out loud and clear and, and vibrates off the walls and so forth. It's because I have momentarily entered a, a, an area where the note that I am whistling is an, a note that is well represented by this physical space. So an echo or a, a reverberation um, in that space uh, matches well with the note that I'm whistling. And so as I'm walking around a corner and something, wah, that note is loud and clear and maybe 
maybe even a little piercing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, there's a resonating note right there. That's some pretty cool resonance going on. Anyway, I think this happens, you know, as an analogy, of course, but I think this happens with our souls. There's things that we hear that something resonates. It kind of, and it, okay, there's something to that. Whether it's word for word, this fact that has been revealed to me, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Or maybe it's something about the context. Or maybe it's something about this mode of receiving information. I don't know what it is, but something is resonating. So allow it a place in, in your heart. Because I think that's how we grow in intelligence. I've come to accept a lot more than I did in my early days of studying these things. At first it was like, ah, I don't know about a lot of these things. And now it's more like, huh, that's interesting. And it's, uh, it's not that I automatically accept things. It's that I search for that resonance. I search for the thing that connects, that, that feels right. And if there, sometimes things will feel partially right but partially not and I'll be like okay I I think I feel what they're saying but I don't think I believe their interpretation of what I'm saying anyway um, in, in this case actually that's not so much the case this one is one of them that I I resonate with almost completely that I can hear this experience and by now having heard all the experiences that I have and and uh, and been exposed to as many of the different contexts that these people are coming from. This is one where I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can accept that one. I totally get that. You know, that's one I'm putting high on the shelves. <laughs> I believe that. So anyway, we'll go ahead and finish up for today by uh, inviting you to please let me know if you're listening. I've tried doing podcasts on different subjects before that, that very much interest me. And this is one that I have hesitated with a little bit simply because of this, the religious aspects and the differences between um, what other people believe, what I believe, and maybe what near-death experiences seem to be conveying. And I don't consider those three different things. I consider them... Um, all part of this life experience where we learn and we grow and we're all on different areas of that. I don't want to call it, um, you know, this person's ahead of that person because everybody's ahead of everybody else in something. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like point out any other person on this earth and there are things that you have advanced and grown beyond um, that person in some things than anyone, which makes everyone a potential teacher, everyone a potential student, and we can all learn and grow from each other. I think, I think that's important to recognize. So if you are listening, let me know, whether by leaving a review on iTunes, leaving a comment on the, uh, on the uh, Weebly site, which is neardeathexperiencepodcast.weebly.com, or by going to our Facebook page, which is um, simply called Near Death Experience Podcast. And it has the NDE uh, logo that you'll find on the website. And once again, 
Thank you so much for listening.